Christ needs the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is sovereign. Everything depends on him. He's dependent. And now, I'm, now, are you ready to become dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Francisco's Sermon Podcast. This is a message from our worship service on Sunday mornings in downtown San Francisco. This podcast is a ministry of our church, and we're praying it's useful for you and for the kingdom, for the praise of His glory. We're reading from John chapter 14, verses 12 through 31. This is the beginning of the end uh, of Jesus' life before His death and resurrection. This is a very important passage, and as I've told you before, it is just filled with good stuff. In fact, it's filled with so much theological and wise and beautiful insight, it's a bit overwhelming. Well, I'm going to read through this, and you might, you, I, I sense when I'm reading this, you might, be, you might check in and out a little bit. Don't, I, that's okay. That's all right. It's a, it's a little hard to follow. Uh, as I'm reading it, if it helps you to pay attention, try to count all the prepositions. It doesn't have anything to do with the sermon, but uh, there is a theological reason about our being in God. So see if that keeps you occupied. These are Christ's words. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will really do, and because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and, and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you have loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Well, I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Arise, let, let, let's go from here. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me call upon the Holy Spirit. Uh, Father and God, uh, we, cry, we cry out and I cry out. Uh, uh, let this poor, poor preacher be filled with the Spirit and let all the who hear be filled as well so that we may see and know the Son. May that work be done this day because uh, we have asked it in Jesus. Amen. I want to bring up uh, the possibility that you might be triggered today. Is that, that's kind of a big word now, triggered, triggered, triggered. You might get triggered. You might get triggered. Just giving you a little heads up. And, and the reason I, I'm kind of playing with that a little bit is because I want to talk about the spirit, and we're going to talk about the spirit of adoption, sonship. And we've all got daddy issues. And that's kind of my premise, going to out. We all have, and we all kind of know this, we all have family of origin issues. And one of the most exciting ways that that has been understood recently in some recent kind of social science and behavioral science is in uh, attachment theory. Have you ever heard of this, attachment theory? It's kind of, kind of fascinating. It, it sounds a little bit like pop psychology, and that's about the depth to which I can an analyze it. I'm not a psychologist. But there has been observed that people are deeply affected. You said when we're wired, you as well, uh, Simon, you, 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 Doug, you, me, we're all wired in certain ways that, we, that were determined by our family of origin, by our relationship with our mom and our dad, and how they were affectionate in the early days of our lives, how they interacted, how they played, how they showed affection, love, uh, consideration, all those different, and, we, and we're tracking this, that there's a lot that happens there. You learn to love, you learn to know how to love, how to receive love, or what is love, how to define it, or expect it, or feel it, or experience, it, or give it, based on those few, those, those early formative years as a child. And the result is we all have messed up relationships, missing one another and different, different patterns of love that, that are often competing or, or don't understand each other. We attach in different ways and it creates a lot of chaos in our relationships. So if I'm going to come here and make an argument, and I've heard this argument before, that God has said God, we, in Christ we become a part of the family of God. When God becomes our father, for some people that triggers them. I, I hated my dad. Oh, I don't know what that, that doesn't, Chris, when you told me about dad, God being a dad, let's say, I would say fatherhood and motherhood, parenthood has fallen in hard times. And a lot of people, if, I, if we preach or we teach or we talk about God saying, I'm a father, or I want to be a father to you, and some of us are going to go, whoa, I don't know about that. I don't know if I dig that, I don't know if I like that, I don't know how that makes you feel. So maybe you'll be triggered today, I don't know. I hope not. And, and why I'm beginning with this psychological question at all, I think will become clear later. But I want to ask a different question than this. I want to ask a different question about this than this. I want to ask a que- I want to back into a philosophical question. No, don't, I don't want to lose you here. But I, I want to ask a question that goes a little deeper. I want to I ask, how do we know what God is like in who he is? Like, how do we know? He's completely different. He even tells us, I'm not like you. I don't think like you. I don't exist like you. You My thoughts are not your thoughts. There is an immeasurable gulf between the eternal and the finite, right? Between the immense and the eternal and the infinite and you and me. You know, five and a half, five foot, 11 of foot, you know, whatever I'm, you know. And our limitations, so there's a a gap there. And the gap, how do we know what God is like? 
How do we think about what he is like if he is so different than us? And he takes these names. He takes these names. Father, Son, Spirit. Now, we, don't, we know this. This is family language. Family language. Spirit is, uh, that's what it is. It's breath. This word right here in the Greek and in the Hebrew simply means breath or wind. Uh, in, in, uh, you'll recognize it in, in, uh, in Greek. It's pneuma. Well, we pray for my brother's pneumonia. <laughs> it is disease of the spirit, of the, of the spirits in here. This idea of the breath. And so, so breath and family. Now, what I want you to see here is that he, by way of analogy, by way of the stuff that makes us stuff, is how he speaks to us. Sometimes uh, it was famous for Calvin was saying that God talks baby talk to us. In other words, in order to reach us, in order to come to you and, and be intelligible, he's got to borrow and use the things you get. So we talk, God calls himself a shepherd. And if you are lived in an agrarian society, you immediately went, oh, I know what a shepherd is. I know what a shepherd does. And that's what God's like. And now everybody has a father. You see, this reaches into universal experiences. Even if you didn't have a good relationship with your father, you know what one is or what one should be. And same with the son and the same with the spirit breath. And what, I'm, what I want to make the argument here is the eternal God has made himself known by these images of analogy. And, and reason I, I want you to have confidence about this is that we, we can really know him as he is. Why? Because nature is very, very good. In other words, the stuff that makes you you, the stuff that makes families families, the things that make, they all, they're good things. And that's what they were announced to be. And, and, the, reason, and the reason that's so important, in fact, he says they're very good, is that means... They are able, they are able to tell you about God. You see, they're able to communicate something about him. He's not totally invisible here. There's something about him he's telling you. It goes on. Heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals not. God can be somehow grasped, even though he eludes our understanding. I, I, this gets frustrating. We, God is not an item. Um, do you ever remember the T.S. Eliot uh, poem? I am set wriggling upon a pin. And, and he's talking about his frustration with being itemized and reduced by modernity. You and I can be, can be tagged and classified, sure. But God cannot. <laughs> he's above all categories. He says, I don't, you don't, I'm not like you like that. But somehow he made nature so that it can describe who he is, the things he does, even his glory. You see here, glory, knowledge, his handiwork, it's good like he is. And so that Christ can say things like this, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, this is exciting because you see, it would, you would think there's no chance we have of every reaching, reaching to who God is at all. And here we're being told, no, 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 have some confidence. Have some confidence that the good things of this world are equipped. And in fact, so that Christ, so much so that Christ can say with his own body in front of a bunch of men, hey, take a look, take a look. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Miracle, wonder, how can that be? But it's true. This is how we know what God's like. So... God bridges the gulf between your smallness and his bigness. You see? Between his eternity and your f finiteness. 
He bridges that in nature because every part of it has something to say about who he is and his greatness, but he goes further because the gulf between you and God is not merely an intellectual one, is it? It's not merely the thing that you can't understand who God is because you're so small and he's so big. It's also what? There's a sin problem. There's a, there's a ruin in us, right? There's a ruin and a destruction at work in the world that has separated us. It's called sin and in the crimes of the heart and the crimes of the mouth and the mind. And we all commit them. So when Christ says he has seen me, has seen the Father, he's not just talking about when he was talking to them. He's talking about where he's going to be on a cross. And if you see him on a cross as your Savior, and if you see him on a cross as your substitute, if you see him on a cross as dying for your ruin and sin and guilt, ah, then you have seen the love. You have seen the work. You have seen the face of the Father. And you've seen him in love. And now, in fact, you can hope to see him even further and know him more and behold him face to face. There's so much to hope for and hope in. So all I'm trying to build here is a case. I'm a case that you can know God as he really is when you know him as dad, when you know him as father, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of, well, that wasn't what I wanted to come up yet. No, that is the work of, of the Holy Spirit. And this is what we've been looking at. He's all over this text. And last week we looked at him as the Spirit of Truth. This week we're looking at him as the Spirit of Adoption. And what I want you to see here, and I have to say this clearly on audio. I listened to the ser- one of the sermons recently, and I kept talking about us being in the Trinity. And I must have been gesticulating like this when I was saying it. But when you hear it in the audio, it sounds like you become a member of the Trinity. And that's not at all what I want to say. Not at all what I want to be misunderstood saying. Trinity does not become more than triune or three parts. We are in the Trinity and that we are located in it in its fellowship. We are located in him as Father, Son, and Holy. We are located in that relationship. We are, and we are located in it eternally. It is a, it's an amazing claim that's being made. And let's talk about how the spirit of adoption drives us. The Holy Spirit uses this to take us into the, into the presence of God. This is kind of exciting because you can't understand God as Father until the Holy Spirit does it. First, you must understand that the Holy Spirit's work in Jesus was to make sure that Jesus knew God. You know that Jesus had a Father, that it was God. Well, how do we know that? How did, how did Mary become pregnant? With child from the Holy Spirit. A lot of people like to snicker around Christmas that, that Christians are naive and that may, perhaps we have, maybe George Lucas's metachlorians might help us. As you know, that's our best hope is that there's a force in the world or something. But, but what they miss and what perhaps you have missed is the reason it's so important that you know and you believe that Christ was born by the Holy Spirit was not only because it tells him he is son, because it paves a way for you to be a son or a daughter too. You see, it presides a model through which you enter as well. And the possibility of new life for you is all the more real because of how real he is. And as Christ in the Spirit, the Spirit works in Christ's sonship itself. And this is kind of remarkable. Look, when, it, when, when Christ, is, so Christ is born, when he's inaugurated, this is, the, this is the beginning, this is middle, he's inaugurated in ministry, the Spirit of God descends and, and, the, and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice in heaven said, this is my beloved son. The Spirit of God is what? The Spirit of adoption for Jesus. It's a, it tells him he's a son, not an even adopted one, but a true son. And that spirit of sonship gave him that boldness to know what to say, how to do, and how to go to a cross. 
We'll look at that. We'll look at that more. But so not only that, but then past the grave into eternity and resurrection, he was declared to what be the son of God by what? In power, according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Christ is Christ God the son under God the father by the power of God the spirit. Figure that one out. <laughs> now, I'm the, why, am I, why am I making this point? It, it, I guess, put it this way. How have we been able to design or bid, build or live a life evangelically or in Christ without being Holy Spirit deeply, deeply Holy Spirit dependent? Like Holy Spirit's everything. Like, for, like you right now could be bored, indifferent, or not care, or find my words annoying. Only the Holy Spirit can help you. You might find me entertaining. Even that won't help you. Only the Holy Spirit can help you. There has to be, there's a motion. And if Christ had to have that motion from beginning to end, do you, do you Simon? I think so, right? Well, let's go on because the spirit, the spirit is then attached to our sonship. Look, we are the promised Holy Spirit who is what? A guarantee of our inheritance. What is the Holy Spirit delivering? A sense, a, a sense of sonship that gives you hope. There's something coming. And he goes on, he's, his heart is in our spirit, his heart is a guarantee. And then finally, for those who are led by the spirit of God are what? Sons of God. We do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. You know, now I hope you could get into this. You see, um, I come from a tradition called Presbyterianism. And you did not, you walked into a Presbyterian church. You're probably expecting somebody to stand a little more stationary and talk a little bit more in a monotone. This would be much more Presbyterian. And I could preach like this, but it wouldn't be my personality. I would be acting, I would be phony, it wouldn't be real. But for me, it is for other people. But all this is happening. So, and we, what's the, what's the great theological thing, the great theological word that Presbyterians are famous for? Pre what? Pre what? Predestination. Predestination. A five syllable word that people hate. And people gets people angry. And often while we'll rise and, and, and can put just as many people to sleep. And so, whether you're the sleepy response or the angry one, doesn't matter right now. It doesn't matter right now. God is king. He is sovereign. And if we believe that in our reformed heritage that I come from, then we should be the people who most want the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is sovereign. You see, why do you know Christ, Mike? Because of the Holy Spirit. Why am I able to get up here and preach or have an insight of the text? Because of the Holy Spirit. Why did you call upon the Lord, Said Because of the Holy Spirit. How have you grown, Peter? By the Holy Spirit. How do you lead worship, Peter? By the, how are you going to be a, a wife to a pastor, hon? Through the Holy Spirit. <laughs> There's no other key, you see. It is the sovereign work of the Spirit we are, that is our hope. It is not us. And let us give all sovereign acknowledgement to the splendor and joy and power of of the Spirit. But what does he do in his sovereignty? What does he do? He's the T-ball. Uh, how many of you guys have uh, ever played T-ball? Anybody ever played T-ball? Yeah, 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 right. I bet you knocked it out of there. I bet you did. And uh, 
It's really fun. One of the funnest things about t-balls when your kids are little is it doesn't really even help them hit the ball. <laughs> they'll sit there and, and they'll still swing it and miss it, and then they'll hit, or they'll hit the tee, you know, and they'll hit the tee, and they're, you know, are, and, and this is about how good a batter I am, too. So, you know, and it's fun to watch. But what's the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the T. The Holy Spirit is constantly setting everything up. He is constantly delivering to you Jesus. He's constantly setting up the proposition that it's possible for will to know God and to be known by God and to lead our worship. Praise him. You see, we're in the active engagement and energy and direction and motion of the Holy Spirit or we don't have anything. You see, we sh- our hope for San Francisco is not in ourselves, but in the presence and action of the Holy Spirit. Our hope for our character and our personalities that we don't like and our sin problems is in the work of the Holy Spirit. Praise Him. Praise Him. And that Spirit brings us to a spirit of sonship. And that's what I want you to do. Is I want you to see that Christ in the Spirit models for us beginning, middle, and end what the Spirit is going to do in us. Okay. Have I made my argument? I feel like I've made a good argument. I feel like I've made a good argument about what the Holy Spirit's supposed to do here. And I, but I'm not really satisfied with that yet. I don't really feel like, I mean, everybody's kind of like, oh, yeah, all right, Chris, yeah. This has all been pretty abstract so far. Let's see what we can do about Christ's mindfulness now, becoming our mindfulness by the Spirit. Christ's mindfulness. Mindfulness is a big thing now, isn't it? Mindfulness. The exercise of mindfulness. Mindfulness is a high-level value in our city, in our culture, in a lot of corporate culture now. A self-awareness is what it invites us in. And, all these, and what I was noticing in this is now that we, now I've, I, all I've done, I, I made my own little tea with the Holy Spirit. I've set everything up here. So you understand Christ needs the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is sovereign. Everything depends on him. He's dependent. And now, I'm, now are you ready to become dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Are you? Let's see. Let's see. Because what, we, what I see in Jesus, and this is what drew me to this so, so deeply, is he's so aware. He's so aware. Um, this is the text we're looking at. Look at how many times he says, Father. Now, I'm not interested necessarily in what Christ is saying. It's just in how much he's saying it. He is drenched with a self-awareness that cannot move or understand itself apart from the awareness that he has his Father. It's not just the Father. It's his Father. It's so tender and real. He, everything, he, and, so, and, and we know he's, he's facing the cross. And, and he's facing where he will die for sinners. You know, he's facing where his blood will be spilled. And but we see him here drenched in a father, in the father, in an awareness of the father. That it, it, it animates him. It, it, you know, we sing that song, This Is My Father's World. Remember that song? This is, this is and you hear it. This is, what, this is Christ's song. This is my father's world. This is my father's work. This is one of my father's people. I'm, I'm doing my father. And you hear it. Every, everything, he's just aware. Now, look right here. He's also aware of them. He knows that there, he said, let not your hearts be troubled and you don't be afraid. You're in verse, uh, with verses that 27. And then you heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I'll come to you. 
daddy, daddy issues are going to come up. Trouble and fear and anxiety about the disappearance of God. If you have not experienced the disappearance of God, then you're lying to me. Can I get a witness? Has anybody felt like God has deserted them before? I, I, it, that, that, is, that is one of the most universal Christian experiences, and only a Christian can truly have it. Well, God has deserted you. Well, where is he? Well, and, and the idea of trouble's coming, trouble and fear. When you're in trouble and fear, what do you become aware of? I'm just going to play with this. When trouble's, on the, and trouble's brewing, when trouble at work, and, and you're not sure what your boss, you feel like your boss may be talking to somebody else about you, and you're unnerved, or, and or you're not sure why you didn't get the bonus or the meeting that you were promised, because like nobody's listening to you, and your report got buried after all the work you did, and you, and who cares, and your kids don't listen to you anymore, and all they do is call you when they want something, these kind of things, right. and you only call your parents when you want something, I know you guys. <laughs> What do you become aware of? What do you become aware of? I'll tell you for me what I become aware of, and I'll give you an illustration. I become aware of every possible option or outcome. Because what I do is I play over and over the tapes of everything that go wrong. How about you? You ever do that? Well, if they did this, then this goes bad. And this goes, and if he likes me, then this goes bad. And maybe, and then this goes, and then I play out again and again and repeat it tapes all the possible outcomes that are negative. Can I get an amen? That is what I become aware of. I become aware of how many ways this can go sideways. How many ways I could be failing and I don't even know it. Right? That's what trouble does. Now, what is the Holy Spirit trying to teach us? And all that painful awareness that happens about the situation you're in and the fear that engulfs you, what's the answer from the Holy Spirit? To become aware that you're not an orphan and your dad is watching over you forever. We're being invited into a consciousness of our Father as constantly covering, constantly watching, constantly in power and control. And who can bring you that peace and that knowledge of God the Father? Only the Holy Spirit. Because what is he giving you? He's giving you the Son. And the Son is all you needed. You become aware that that, that uh, let me take you look, give you an idea here of how powerful this is too. I just, I just remembered, I saw this in the worship. Take, go back to the call to worship. This is an ancient problem. You see where it says here, it, we, these are not, we didn't versify these because we don't want the verses to distract you. But if you go down to where I marked the second and the last paragraph, it says, so teach us to number our days. What does that mean? Teach me to number our days. Teach us to number our days. To become self-aware, <laughs> to become aware that you live your days before a God. Because, because a few verses before that, it says, our days are filled with what? Toil and trouble. What do we need? We need a new awareness uh, that we are not alone. Now, we ask the Holy Spirit to bring that to us. And there's many ways we can get to that awareness. Mindfulness, as it's taught in this generation, is essentially not mindfulness. It's mindlessness. Uh, I want to teach you what my, what my son was at Burton, and they discovered that when, hey, come on in, Sarah, you can come in. Uh, um, my son was telling me he, that they found that violence went down in the classroom at Burton here in town. The violence went down 
when they did uh, mindfulness training with the kids. Yeah, they really, and that, they, that helped them out, helped them process anxiety and, and frustration. He said, Dad, so I've been doing mindfulness. I've been doing mindfulness in, in, uh, at school. And of course, I immediately got all, and he's like, he's like well, what do they teach you? What do they teach you mindfulness is? You remember how they teach you mindfulness? What is the first thing you're supposed to do? Empty your mind. Empty your mind. And now, and Ian was telling me this, and if you know my son Ian, you know he had a head start on that. Uh, <laughs> empty my mind. And trust me, Ian, would, he'd, he'd, he'd love that. He'd love that. Uh, and, and he said, Dad, so I empty my mind. And I said, well, Jesus said, you can empty your mind, but you should be very careful because sometimes people will empty their mind and demons come in. This is a direct quote from Jesus. <laughs> if you empty your mind effectively, if you empty your mind efficiently, if you empty your mind successfully, you are now an open invitation to the presence of evil. Do not listen to this generation tell you what mindfulness is. No, let your mind now. When you're, you have mindfulness exercises at work, or maybe somebody suggests one to you, or maybe you're in yoga, which could be a wonderful force of exercise, and they're trying to feel, don't listen to what they tell you to do with your mind. Do this instead. Just fill it with these quotes from Jesus. <laughs> I mean, become mindful of all the promises and life of Jesus and the way he talks about his father and, and become mindful. <laughs> Fill up your mind. Yes. And there's all sorts of grace coming to you in that because that's the work of who? The Holy Spirit and the spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. What's the next thing I want us to become aware of? I should get my notes out. Pay attention to them. Um, one thing I noticed about Jesus is he is so grounded. <laughs> we looked at this. In that day, which is supposed to be today, so today in the future after this point, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I, and there's this wonderful, we've been looking at this transitive nature of holiness, this transitive nature of eternity, and we are in God, he's in us, and there's this wonderful communion together, Right? And when you hear Christ as he's in the midst of trouble, he's just so grounded. He knows who he is. He knows where he's going. He knows where he's been. He has absolute, it's like he just, he knows something about everything around him. It just grounds him in who, in identity. His identity is crystalline. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. Is it, is it, it crystallizes that identity. Now, when trouble comes, when trouble comes, what, do you, what are you grounded in? I know, I know what I do. I'm grounded on looking more and more like I have no trouble. <laughs> Facebook, everything's fine. Everything's fine. My life's falling apart. Things are getting worse. I double down. What do we tend to double down on? Making sure that the image doesn't crack. That the facade is intact. That people don't know, that, but that people continue to imagine that we, are really, we really do have that great marriage. And I really have, think I'm really kicking it. So instead of seeking identity, what do we do? We seek, we seek polish and trouble. And what is the mindfulness of our sonship going to do with this? It's going to reroute us in our identity. Who are you? You're a child of God. What if you're a scumball? What if you're just a miserable little twit? Well, then maybe you're the least of all the sons of God. Maybe you are the one son or daughter of God that he doesn't really want to recognize sometimes in public. 
I had children like that. I'm kidding again. No, but seriously, what, what do we do? We, we, yeah, we, no, he's not like that. That's not who he is. He loves so faithfully and continually and righteously. He is, you know, you know, he even says, look, look, even, even Ian, who has been making fun of you, if he asks me for a loaf of bread, he gets one. And I'm a terrible father, but I know enough to give him a loaf of bread or a sandwich when he asks for one. How much more shall our heavenly father not give us the Holy Spirit if we ask? Direct quote. That's what we needed. That's what we need our ground and our cement. And that's what the, that's what the, our, 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 the Spirit does is he, he grinds. It's almost like he, he's, the, he's the cement. He's the mix that stabilizes you. You know, so the Holy Spirit's always this invisible part. He's always the part you don't notice. It's the footing that you're cemented in. So in times of trouble, find your, find your bearings again and find your identity. Get regrounded. How often have you noticed that as trouble is washing over your life and alarming you and, 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 you're, and you're trying to burnish the facade <laughs> and everyone uh, of you knows this, you know there's a point coming where this will no longer work. Don't you all know you're like, and we all say stuff like this. I don't know how long I can keep this up. How many times have you ever thought that? Like, you know, there's a, there's a point coming where you're not going to be able to maintain this anymore. Right? You there yet, Corey? Yeah, I know you're there. Yeah? Amen. That's the place God brings us. What? So we can find our, we can refine and rediscover and reset down and re-cement. Holy Spirit, do this work. Let us find our identity. Give us the spirit of sonship by which we cry out, Daddy, Daddy, I need help now and today. Daddy, you are my father. Now, maybe you are the least of all the sons, but even if you're the very, very least of all of them, you still have all the rights of a son. Every single one. Maybe you're a daughter who has been off doing your own thing for years. Listen to the prodigal. Come to your senses. Run back to our Father because he's open-armed. Praise him. Get cemented again. Re-cement, recommit. That's the last thing is I love how Christ is so, he's, he's so aware. He's so grounded, but he's so driven by love. He is animated by a purpose, agape, the selfless pouring out of his own life for him, for her, for me. Praise him. There's nothing like him. He's, he, is, he is a dynamo of eternal power that's made alive. And there's nothing like it. There's nothing like him in the universe. And he's ours. <laughs> Praise him. But, um, but he's, so, he's so driven. Um, when you're in toil and trouble, what do you become driven by? You're not living by, driven by love anymore. What do you become driven by? Well, I know what exactly, I know, well, I'll just confess what I'm driven by. I'll tell you who takes over the controls, fear. I start making decisions based on fear. Oh, I'm afraid of that. Well, I don't do that then. I go, oh, I'm afraid of that, I'll go this way. Oh, I, oh, I need to avoid, I can't do that. I, I, and we became driven by an escaping fear. You know, and our fear is boxing us in, telling us what's not possible. And what do we need the Holy Spirit for right now? What do we need right now? A reinvestigation, a recommitment, a re a knowing to being driven by agape, by a selfless love that fills us. Praise Him. Yes.
This is the work of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of adoption, he, had, he, he fills that love and ignites it and gives you a possibility of loving others. And I'll tell you, there's stuff in this text. Look, look for 2,000 years, this is written 2,000 years ago, and the most brilliant minds of history have read it. And nobody still knows what the heck this means. That they, the world may know that I love the... That's, that's the big, that's the deep motives that draw, I, I, the love of, that we would know just how much he loves his own father in the trend. That's the eternal energy that brought a savior to love and die for you. It's a love fest, guys. It's love for him, love for the father, love for you, and it's spilling out. It's love for Melanie, it's love for the baby, and it's love for me, it's love for Sam. It's just everywhere. You see, it's, a, it's just love flowing. No longer driven by fear. Let me tell you something. If you are making decisions, catch yourself. If you're making fear-based decisions, don't trust them anymore. It's very easy to get locked into that when you realize you're making decisions in the midst of trouble and fear based on fear. Because fear-based decisions are not faith-based decisions. And they don't have the spirit of adoption pulsing in them. Fine. Next, he is so purposeful. I'm almost done, guys. He lives and he's glorified by eternal purpose. Um, something bigger in the perspective is going on, that the Father may be glorified and the world may know that I love the Father. There's other, we can get other clues to his purposes in here too. But he lives with a sense in his awareness and groundedness and being driven by love, he is now directed by purpose. He is moving towards a goal. Something is ever before him that he must attain and must have and will have because he is God the Son. Nobody will deny him. He will not be denied. Not even death will hold him back. No, he will rise from the dead because, and we will know, this is how much he not loves you. This is how much he loves the Father. And that's why there's hope and love for you. Isn't that amazing? That the hope you have in the love of God is based on the love of the Father and the Son, not upon you or upon, it's just amazing. You are really, your rescue is literally the overflow of eternal passion. <laughs> Praise him. Eternal purposes. You're, you're in their grip. They're pulling you. Do you feel their pull? What purpose are you driven by? What are you tend to be driven by other than that purpose? I'll tell you what my main purpose is when I'm in trouble and I'm in fear, and that is to avoid pain. Don't you ever get into that, get in that, well, if that hurts, I don't want to do that. I don't like talking to her because she makes me feel bad. I'm going to ignore my boss. I'm going to do it. I'm going to over here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm not going to go to church. I'm going to, I'm going to, nobody can see me. No. These weird, we get in these weird, and then, like, all right, I'm being confessional, obviously. This is how I, but you're probably more mature than I am. And I'm not even kidding about that. I, I, I'm so immature when it comes to that. This particular, my purpose becomes, how do I avoid feeling bad? How do I avoid panic? Oh, the Holy Spirit has told me, start living in the love and for the glory of the Father. For this is where eternal beauties and eternal life lives. You see, the gospel of the kingdom is so much bigger and more beautiful than we ever dared imagine. It is moving into the spirit of adoption by the spirit. The final way, the final thing I want us to focus on, the final place I want us 
to, to, to go is Christ is, oh, what did I just do? Did I just die? Oh, what did I do? Oh, I'm so, I'm so, all right. So purposeful, so dependent. Um, he says, ask, ask, and I will ask. Are you a part of the compounded asking of eternity? Are you in on compounded asking? Because compounded asking yields a harvest down the road like you would not believe. What's compounded asking? It's a lot like compounded interest. <laughs> you get in there with prayer, get inside his prayer. He's praying, now you're praying, now you're praying, now you're praying more. He's praying, you're praying, wow, what happens? All of a sudden, Doug's praying. Nobody thought Doug was going to pray. Wow, now Simon's praying. <laughs> and, he goes, and, the whole, and, and all of a sudden... The asking that we're doing is really only effective because of the asking he's doing. And we're being taught that in the times of trouble, the times where we're supposed to not, is to become more dependent on him. More, because what's the opposite of, of, of times of trouble? Is we bolt down on getting things under control. That's what I bolt down on trying to get things under my thumb. I need to get, I need to get rid of the, the uncertainties. I need, to, I need to get lit. I need something certain. I need to control that. I need, I need that. What, what is that? That's not asking, is it? There's no surrender. There's no peace. There's no dependence. And what does the Holy Spirit bring us to in his sovereign work of love? A new depending on the Father. A new asking that's open-ended now and full of grace and love. Something happens here. Something happens here. And, and I hope you see is you know, this, you know, it's funny, every week I've been doing this, and, and Peter, and I, Peter always kind of, I can see him wince a little bit, because these are such humble pictures of the Holy Spirit. Like, I think I called him the Holy Router the other day, because <laughs> his work's invisible. I mean, it's just, those, that's, those are the words, that's the kind of practical imagery Jesus uses. He uses humble images about himself. He says, when you think of me, think of a door. That's kind of humble. It's not a very grand image for yourself. And I told you, when you think of, think of the Spirit, think of him as a doorman holding the door, because he gives us Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the doorman. He opens the door. He opens Jesus to us. It's such a humble thing, isn't it? And that's where I want you to see that T-ball. Do you get it? I hope you can get this. This is God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son from eternity. You may not know who he is, but this is the eternal God, greater than space and time, greater than all things. Nothing like him. Nothing like him at all. And he is completely okay with the Spirit being compared to breath and wind and a little tea for a tea ball. Yeah. Because the Father is so glorious. His glory is also known in how he humbles himself to be a servant and a father who waits on his daughter and a father who does anything for his sons. A servant you know, one of the funniest things you find as a parent that always shocks you the most is how it makes you a servant. You, you, in the hundredth diaper, or the thousandth diaper, <laughs> there's no glamour, there's no authority, there's no honor, there's no respect, there's no, nothing. You're just a servant. That's how far Father in heaven. That's why when he takes that name, he wants you to know him, that that is what his love is like. 
That is what his tenderness, that is what his attentiveness, that is how aware he is of what you're going through. That is what his presence and identity is for you in times of trouble. That is his nearness to your questions and your answers and your, and your dependence and your crying out and your need for, he's that immediate. He, he wants you to identify him as a God in the diapers in your di- and just that present to serve you and to love you. The Holy Spirit, yes, he's like a, he's like a, a setup of a t-ball because we're like little kids who need our dad to help us swing it, to even get it off the mound. Praise him that he fills us to do work. Amen? Praise him he's alive. Praise him he's the Lord. Praise him. Praise the spirit that he is sovereign. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Father, I, 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 uh, I you know, when I want to preach about or speak about the Holy Spirit. I, I wonder who, who could be equal to this task and, and, and what, what can deliver these truths but you, Holy Spirit. But come and do what I fail to do and what we fail to understand. Meet us in our point, meet us at the point of failure as a good dad would. Tenderly helping your kids know what your presence is and tenderly helping your children know how to be aware Tender helping us how to live by purpose for your glory. Tenderly showing us and holding our hands as we, as we try to understand how to be dependent and not, not try to order our own lives or try to look better than we are or try to... Oh, Father. Look, the days of trouble are here for many of us or they're coming. <laughs> and, if they're, and if we just left days of trouble, we know they're coming back. And you told us that. In fact, I think it's the next. It's in the next chapter. You said, "In this world, you'll have trouble." <laughs> you, you yourself said it, Father. I would ask you, open up, anoint, and fill, and give this generation, our church, our community, everybody here, the Holy Spirit. Let it pour, let it flow, overwhelm. Give us new purpose, new awareness, new, new life, new grounding. Yes, Father, new dependence, new joy. Hmm. We pray this to be fresh for us because you're here and because you did the work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread and broke it, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, he also took a, a cup of wine, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Of course, he is, do you get it? He's such a good father. What is a good father? A good father feeds his children. This is what good dads do. And here it is. Our older brother <laughs> broke it uh, for us. Now, if you are a, um, a sinner running to grace, this is your table. I have a, there's a peculiar like barrier I have to put up here. Only sinners are welcome to the table of Jesus. Only sinners who know him by faith. That's it. So I, I have to put up what's called a fence. It's a famous tradition in my tradition, and it's because of the spirit we do this. We put up a fence and we say, look, it, you, you're not permitted to this table if you think you're a good person. Because if you think you're a good person, then you don't need a savior. You're just in the wrong church. I'm not trying to offend you. This is, just, this is you don't want to be here. There's only, only, only sinners are welcome at this table, at this family table. 
But you have to be family, so that means you have to know Jesus. He's your older brother. You come by faith, and, and, and the Holy Spirit has done a work in you. Um, and finally, if you're a skeptic, then I, ask, I would ask you as a skeptic to obey your skepticism and call on this Holy Spirit if he's real to show himself to you. Why not? What have you to fear? If, in your, if your skepticism denies the ability to do that, then your skepticism is, is phony because you haven't really observed that you can't make claims about what you don't know. And so if you're a skeptic, I'm hoping that as you watch us, as you watch us claim a God of eternal love as dad, as I'm going to do right now when I take this table, this is my dad's supper, and I'm having it with, my, I'm having it with the family. <sighs> I think that as you watch that, a skeptic, someday, I'm hoping you'll want it. You'll crave it. An itch will be in you. Can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? And I want you to know, if that itch starts in you, it's the Holy Spirit. I've been preaching about it the whole time. All right, where am I right now? I've just done that. Okay, let's stand. Now, what we're going to do here is we're going to do the mystery of faith and the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is a statement of faith by which you, but which we ask you to acquiesce is happening in space and time. There is no mythology here. Uh, we are not a church that believes the scriptures are mythology. So we believe these things happen in space and time and ask you to agree to them wholly and fully as the truth uh, believed in your heart. So um, we're going to do the mystery of faith, the Apostles' Creed, and then we'll sing a song. And this is our final song. It's, I don't even know what it is. I didn't even look. Jesus Messiah. Jesus Messiah. Good. Let's sing it lustily and heartily and give praise to our God in response to the message preached. Amen? And I think it's just appropriate today if, that, if the Holy Spirit is here. And then uh, after, after we have sung our song and gotten our, 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 our bread and wine, we'll take it together and be dismissed. Hey, guys. Hey, kids. We're, uh, guys, be, pr be praying for us. We're practicing. We want to get the kids to start leading us in the doxology at the end. Wouldn't that be fun? So they're going to start practicing that, and they're going to start leading us into the doxology at the end of worship. I thought that would be a fun, a fun thing to do. All right. Uh, will you proclaim to me so that I can hear? Let's play, proclaim together so that all can hear it. What is the mystery of our faith? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Praise him. Well, tell me, Christian, brother and sister, guest, whoever you are, wherever you are, what do you believe? We believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge for the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For further information, please feel free to check us out at firstpresbyteriansf.org or come and worship with us on Sunday mornings at 1015. We meet at 110 Embarcadero, just a block away from the Ferry Building, and we can't wait to see you.